Welcome to Design Thinking Games, a gaming and user experience podcast. Card-carrying UXers Tim Broadwater and Michael Schofield examine the player experience of board games, pen and paper role-playing games, live action games, and video games. Play through the backlog on your podcatcher of choice and on the web at designthinkinggames.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of Design Thinking Games Back from Hiatus, Season 2, Episode Number 18. And this kicks off the first one back from our prolonged break. And it's been a really meaty off-season. Yeah, last episode was we made it to the castle, we stormed the gates, and we blasted into space on the holy day of Mass Effect. I guess maybe the best thing to ask you, Mike, is what's been going on since our last episode? (laughs) I don't really know where to start. You know, we could probably start with the Game of the Year awards. You and I had a couple of predictions early on, but they happened, and the winners are... I think pretty good, to be honest. Yeah, I actually played um, uh, the Game of the Year winner last year. It Takes Two. Um, It was only a release, I believe, for Xbox and PlayStation. Um, It is really good. A little bit of a tearjerker. Um, But like the game that the studio produced before it, you literally have... It Takes Two. Uh, You cannot play it one player you have to play with someone either locally or online have to have two people to play it and i'll have to say i don't want to ruin anything um but it i know why it won game of the year it's it's beautifully storied it's a kind of and this is not giving anything away but it's a couple that is no longer happy they have a child and they're getting a divorce and um, the child kind of puts a wish. It's not a curse or anything, but I think it's a wish on them uh, that they've learned to kind of um, love each other again. And and she even goes to like the local library or school library and checks out a book on like how to fall in love. And uh, she's trying to help them. And uh, it's beautiful. And over the course of the game, I will say this, it uses the medium of collaborative two-player games to teach, you know, the parents collaboration. And so there's like shout-outs in it that are like Street Fighter. Um, And there's shout-outs in it that are a lot of two-player games, like 3D tank games, like on old school and television. Yeah. Um, So there's a lot of references to 2D games. And it's funny because it uses the medium of 2D games to teach like collaboration between two people. That's fascinating. I didn't realize what the story was behind it. I'd seen the gameplay a little bit and some of the mechanics, but it hasn't appealed to me. But that sounds like it's suddenly like up my alley. Do you find that like if part of the under theme is to teach you how to love or how to fall in love or how to collaborate, um, do you feel like a sense of I don't know, attachment with your co-op buddy? Yeah, so I couldn't, I got it in the mail and it's just like you 
a second player needs to log in, you can't play. And I was like, wow, uh, angry because I was like, what? I want to play the game. And so I they have this cool thing that you only one player has to buy the game and you can let the other player pay play remotely. So I'm on PlayStation. And so I played with my um, my nephew and there's instances in the game to where you have to do everything together. Everything requires collaboration. Every boss battle, getting through every board, you're holding a switch while you're waiting for someone else to run up somewhere to click on something so you can then proceed. I mean, it's there's points where someone's piloting while another person's gunning. It is all collaborative. And there are points definitely where, you know, you can get frustrated and you're like yelling at the other player or like, what are you doing? Get over here. But then you realize it's one of these things to where I think it made me look at myself more to say, like, you need to chill out and you need to, you know, you need to calm down because, um, you know, this requires two people to to collaborate and work together. And to do that, you you can't be frustrated or angry at another person. You have to also you know, kind of work together. And then you kind of get to this point where you kind of look forward to working together. It started, well, yeah. it's difficult, but then it becomes, oh, it's a little, we're getting the, we're getting in the rhythm of it. And then it becomes enjoyable, like working together. And so you actually, it does, my player experience was like, um, I haven't, I don't play a lot of two player games. And I think that's, um, you know, it's usually one of those things that where I think people, um, play either online games or they're solo all the time. And so in a lot of online games, you just randomly are paired or you pick up people mm-hmm. or you whatever. But um, it kind of threw me back to middle school when I was yeah. you know, kind of on my friend's couch and we were playing games together and we had to work together. And I kind of miss that in games. And, and this, made me, this made me feel that again. I don't tend to play with people. I play with strangers. Um and uh and yeah but i i do play a lot of multiplayer man and so like some of the like the best multiplayer experiences are you know really good cooperative ones what's funny is that you know like early on in season one we had an episode about uh i think we had an episode or a good chunk of an episode about the role of collaborative games Uh, i think we focused much of that on board games and whatever but i i believe that deep in that kind of like fertile soil that we planted, we were speculating that, you know, this kind of like collaborative and forced collaborative games, the the sort where, Hey, you know, to even play the game of the year, you must have a buddy. Um, I think we speculated that that was going to be increasingly present in like the coming years of gaming. Right. You know, because we sort of, Maybe we've maxed out on what we can do in terms of graphic fidelity or or whatever, or close. Um, and now the ability through you know the network and you know creative game design to really tell collaborative stories more than just like two people on a squad shooting the same targets is exponentially better, like year after year over year. So I think it's really cool that this is the game that won. That won the game of the year. When my nephew, who plays a lot of games, um, said, you know, I now know why this is one game of the year. Like, it's a really good story. It's the story puts it above everything else. So. So, yeah, that's uh, 
I think that's Hazelight Studios, um, who made like It Takes Two, and then the game before that is A Way Out. I also played the only other exposure I had to the game of the year. You know, I thought like uh, um, I was I th- you know you have a a lot of predictions who you think is going to win. A lot of people thought Resident Evil Village right, oh, sure. was going to take, yeah, and it took a lot of awards, but then. I also played Metroid Dread, which won action <laughs> game of the year. Yeah. And I know why. It, it's amazing. It's a really good action game. So I was more kind of like interested in some of these uh, categories that I'm sure have existed before. But, you know, in the spirit of, you know, the UX honeycomb, right, where the player experience or the user experience is a cumulative of uh, some tangibles and some other tangible intangibles, you know, so instead of like a genre based game of the year, like action or best role play, um, there's one that I kind of liked in terms of like best community support and best ongoing games for impact in yeah, games for impact, innovation and accessibility. It, it, it's coming to show, I think how, you know, these kind of like, I guess as games become more, games of games as a service as opposed to you know uh ship it and ditch it kind of uh banger that comes out with maybe a couple of patches that the you know the qualities of what makes a game desirable are not too dissimilar from the qualities that make you know like web services desirable that being that there's a human on the other side to help you out and then it's designed for you to use in a variety of contexts um and all of those things are starting to get like a lot of recognition and show up in terms of like nominees i don't know that people care about these categories more than like best action game but the only one that people remember is uh, which is kind of it's a double-edged sword right because of the six games that i think were nominated for game of the year i only played two of them there's a lot of games out there um, I, I've heard good things about Deathloop and Psychonauts and mm-hmm, same. Ratchet and Clank and Resident Evil Village. I played the demo of Resident Evil Village. I never played the game, but I at least it was a free demo. So, you know, <laughs> I played it. But um, the other thing is, is like I'm kind of uh, which, you know, you don't. Um, if a game could win like 20 awards but not get nominated for the year, does that make it a bad game? Right. Or not the best game. Right. Right. Um, which I think an example of that is Horizon Zero Dawn. You know, it never won Game of the Year, like in the proper GOTY category that we're thinking. Sure. But uh, it won other awards, um, and it won a lot of awards. We are super privileged to be brought to you by Dice Tower Theater because our show is designed to tease apart mechanics and other aspects of game design so we can better understand why they impact us. But this wonkery didn't start because we were born middle-aged. It began with fandom and escapism. When we're throwing dice at the table, we're not hyper-focused on reasons why someone gets advantage. We are The blue flame has the great risk, correct? Are you sure, Sophie? I foresee a path you can understand, let alone tread, but you will have to walk yourself. As they venture into their fourth season, over 12 hours of story, Dice Tower Theater rekindles that original feeling we get. 
Are your minds made up too? Then step into the room behind me, adventurers. I wish you find what you seek and can heal your world. Dice Tower Theater, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. What have you been playing game-wise since November 7th, the last time that we had an episode? Isn't that crazy? Um, so I beat, uh, just because we ended on November 7th, I did beat the Mass Effect uh, Legendary Edition on Insanity. <laughs> like, I beat it. Um, I can't even believe that. It, That's nuts. It was insane. Um, I can't argue that it was worth it, to be honest, um, but it was a joy, sort of, to go through. Again, I mean, my whole like catalyst or my whole like rationale for running through this was purely because I'd played each game so many times that I, I don't know, I need to light a match under my skin to feel, feel alive, you know. <laughs> um, but since then, um, I had, I bought a gaming PC. And so the games I've been playing, my gosh, man. Like, uh, so I've been playing, I'll just tell you, like almost straight up. I've played a couple of others um, that I'm excited to talk about. But I've been neck deep in Hell Let Loose, which is a um, a relatively faithful, hyper-tactical World War II shooter with, I think, um, uh, either 64 or 100 player servers, but big teams. And... You know, you're replaying many of the battles of uh, the European front. Um, but what's special about Hell Let Loose, which maybe feels particularly sweet because of how burned I personally was with Battlefield 2042 um, and stuff like that, is that um, there's no handholding. There's no HUD. There's barely a tutorial. You cannot succeed as a lone wolf maybe this is that spirit of collaborative games you have to work together with your squad well and your squad has to work together with other squads well or your experience is not only one of loss but it just sucks like right you will get pummeled if you guys aren't working as a team and it's fascinating to kind of like play with these hardcore mechanics um, there's a lot of different rules that I really like but the fact that it forces you to get along to even moderately enjoy yourself because the penalty of not collaborating is that you're stuck in your spawn and you'll never get out and the game is over. Um, and man, it, it has been some of the most like cinematic epic experiences because the way you have to win the game is, you know, like your squad leader will be like, um, all right, fire team's, uh, fire team Charlie. It's like we're going to go around these hedges. Uh, you know, you the machine gunner. You know, point up here. Keep the dock at least thirty paces back. You know, stuff like that. And the effect is that you are role playing soldier, right? So, so on top of like the high fidelity, uh, the sound design, the gameplay mechanics, all of which are amazing. Both the different like mini games between being a leader, a squad leader, or a commander versus the I guess the core game of being an individual first person shooter all coupled in together with having to 
pretend to be like the doc and you know you have to yell medic to get someone's attention <laughs> you know so you have to have a you have to have a mic um it makes for pretty sweet pretend time you know uh, really special events i think so so yeah so the same thing you have to learn to work together and the people who don't work well together are immediately ostracized hmm. nice <laughs> that's cool there's a i know you tend to skew towards um i don't know what i would call it um army armed forces yeah. soldier <laughs> like it could be like a knight or like you, you just really like period piece like war combat games boy that's inter- that's an interesting uh umbrella you're right i do because it doesn't have to be world war ii or world war one but or knights but it has to be in a period right that's relatively like faithful I always have some ongoing games, but I mean, I guess since our episode, I tried a couple of board games, uh, Barbarians, which is B-E-A-R, uh, Barbarians. Um, I finally got to play Fury of Dracula oh and beat God. it. Oh, my God. Such a great game. Really good. <laughs> I, it took me forever to um, to finally fit, get some people to play it, but it was a really great experience. Yeah, yeah. Like, what... Like what um as as you know, I'm a, I'm a fan, so I'm really kind of curious. In the same way that I was curious to pick your brain about Mass Effect, like what, like what about I don't know, what design choices were really good about Fury of Dracula? Well, I say this that there are some parts of the game that didn't age very well, and the majority of which of those are in instruction manuals. And so, um, <clears throat> when you play like. A lot of games that have come out in the last three or four years, you know, the the kind of onboarding, upskilling, understanding the game tutorials, but then also the quick primer that you look to for like, hey, what does this mean? Um, that's kind of dated in Fury of Dracula. Um, however, that is the most nitpicky thing I can say because <laughs> the game is amazing. Like, truly, the game is um you know we had three people controlling the four vampire hunters uh we lost dracula won all right (laughs) um we found him twice and was on his trail but there are so many vampire traps and how we can put move mists over cities so it's kind of like a you're trying to coordinate like tracking down someone and finding evidence of you know, kind of his uh, where across Europe Dracula's going. And so it was really interesting just trying to, I'm going to go take the sea routes. I'm going to cover Spain. You try to go into the Carpathians, like you go to Russia, (laughs) someone go up to Norway. You know what I mean? And you're just trying to find any clue, right? And then when you find it, you're all then like, oh, like coordinating and triangulating position. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I know that now that I've played it, I could play it and it would not take as long as it did. But really good game. I'm glad it's in my collection. Awesome. Um, I also got to play um, Rock, Paper, Wizard, which is very fun. A quick game. Had it for years, but just haven't played it. And I would say video game wise, you know, apart from It Takes Two and Metroid Dread, um, the biggest accomplishment that I can speak to is I beat Cuphead. 
Uh, that literally I I forgot. was the hardest thing. I, I remember I that was such like an event, but it, it baffles me that that was after the last episode we shot because I was like, oh my God. You're like, yeah, because t- it took years, right? Yeah, it took a long, long time to beat Cuphead. <laughs> and it is one of those games that you just have to get it right. Yeah. You know, I got it in 2017 and I beat it in 2021. Um, you just slowly work on it, chisel at it, work on it, chisel at it. And then finally I got to the end and the the last bosses, before you fight the devil, you have <laughs> to fight the dice man who runs the casino. Yeah. And I could never get past the casino. It's just difficult. So, and you know, that's was the biggest, you know, kind of challenge. And I kept coming back and coming back to it. And then finally I was like, I'm beating it this weekend, no matter what. I'm just going to play it nonstop. And I did. I had to play it nonstop for two days, pretty much straight, to beat it. Crazy. But the high you felt afterward must have been insane. Yeah, and it has DLC coming out soon. Oh, my Uh, God. (laughs) And so, like, at the Game of the Year Awards, they announced, you know, Cuphead has the DLC, Delicious Last Course, takes place on DLC Island. Um, There's a new character, Chalice, and then new powers, and... If you haven't played Cuphead, I mean, I think everyone knows about Cuphead, but I mean, it is so beautifully drawn that it's like this classic 40s cartoon or 50s cartoon, right? Yeah, yeah. That is uh, really good, you know, and um, to the point of even putting like the dust or the hair that you would see on the film of a movie. I mean, they have that on everything. Everything's dated. Everything's well done. And then it also just launched a... Um, a Netflix show. It has a Netflix animated series that came out too. So I think there's probably going to be more in the future for Cuphead. I think apart from the DLC and the show, I think they're probably going to ramp up for like another game. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Guys, playtesting is hard. If you've ever done that, you know how much of a struggle it can be. And if you haven't, you need to. It's part of good game design. That's why I'm super happy that this season of Design Thinking Games is brought to you by Playtest Kit. Literally playtestkit.com, which is designed by Steve Bromley to help us draw reliable, evidence-based conclusions that inform our design decisions. It gives us all the templates and guidance that we need to test prototypes, types, recruit, pick the right method, interview people, write surveys, and most importantly, configure and analyze the data so that we can do something useful with it. So whether you've never run a playtest before or you're a pro, this kit is going to save you time and help you get more value from each test you run. So sign up for free resources or go to get the full kit at playtestkit.com. And for the rest of the season, this season only of Design Thinking Games, use the code design thinking to get 10% off and let Steve know who sent you. It is right now, um, a couple weeks before the first episode is coming out, the Winter Olympics just ended, and I think there's some big news items that have happened kind of in gaming, right? Stuff about Microsoft and Sony. A ton. This is one of those things where I regret that we 
took a hiatus. I'm, I'm glad we did. You know, it's the right um, decision for humans <laughs> who need time off of stuff. I'm talking specifically about Microsoft acquiring Activision is one of the really meaty news items. Uh, Microsoft announced that they were buying Activision uh, Blizzard um, for something like $70 billion. And what that does... Oh my God, that's a lot of money. And, and, what, <laughs> and, and what that effectively does, with, with this quick caveat to remind you that not long ago, they bought Bethesda. Um, mm-hmm. They now own all of the Activision properties, including the highest selling franchise in the world, Call of Duty, um, including World of Warcraft, etc., including like uh, Tears of the Storm, all of the stuff that Blizzard did, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, So, I mean, I'm being a little hyperbolic, but the argument is that they have eradicated all of the competition. And so... Um, you know, any kind of like, uh, innovation that emerges, emerges from creative friction is like out the door. You know, the questions are twofold. Like, um, is this good for gamers? Question mark. Is this good for the industry? Question mark. And then there's like some subdivided questions. Is this legal? <laughs> you know, what does this mean for Microsoft, etc.? cetera? Um, mm-hmm. I think for I think for consumers, this is pretty great, at least in the short term. And it's a fascinating call because what it does, it changes the emphasis on gaming. Microsoft is no longer, I mean, maybe this has always been true, but when you think of Microsoft and you pretend that they don't do other things other than Xbox, you think of the hardware running third-party games, right? For the most part, Sony has the exclusives. I think of Office 365 and sure. then all the contracts with every hospital, bank, and school, you know, that literally has all of, it's all Microsoft, right? I don't really even think of the gaming side of it, so. Well, exactly. I think Xbox is a loss leader, definitely. But I think what, um, um, I don't know, like the, the Xbox is a vehicle for like Game Pass and IP delivery. But what makes that interesting to me is, again, I think you're going to see like like Microsoft has an option to cut Call of Duty off of the Sony ecosystem entirely, for instance, um, or they can maintain it and move Microsoft's software presence into the Sony ecosystem through Game Pass. You know, everyone's talking about this as like a as a one two punch to Sony. My hot take is that Sony isn't even on Microsoft's radar because when you consider especially that Microsoft does so much more than Xbox. And what I think what just happened is if you think about Microsoft as um, like a product engineering service, a service for engineers, a service for products and business and hospitals and like everything you just mentioned, they are producing like a platform called Azure. Or I, I don't know really how to pronounce it. A-Z-U-R-E. Azure. Yeah, Azure, which is cloud computing competitor to Amazon Web Services. And AWS is Amazon's, you know, um, like a dollar sign. That's how Amazon makes money. That's how Amazon exerts control over the internet because so much of the internet relies on AWS. Mm-hmm. Think about what Microsoft just did. They just took the biggest bandwidth hogs on the planet. Like all of the games that are con- consistently online have the biggest market share, have the biggest funding, probably take up the biggest server space, and they just took that business away from AWS. Wow. 
and they put it on uh, Azure. I think what this is, is a, like their target is Amazon. Yeah. I don't think it has anything to do with I didn't Sony. even think about it. Yeah, I didn't even think about it that way. Um, you know, I know that I can be on my PlayStation or I'm on my PC or whatever. And if a game requires me to log in with a Blizzard Game Pass or an Xbox Game Pass or whatever, I don't care. I mean, if I want to play the game, I'll, I'll play the game. So I, I think like the end player, unless they're really not wanting to get into an ecosystem, they don't really care because I can, yeah. I've done it before on my PlayStation where I can't remember what it was. I needed something of a game pass for a certain type of game. And it just like, let me create it super quick. Like on my PlayStation through the click of a buttons and then adding my email yeah. address. And I'm like, okay, great. Now I can proceed. So behind the, you know, behind the game or behind the scenes, so to speak, like when you're looking at what happens behind the scenes on like a service blueprint, I don't think users really, or players really care. I agree. I, I mean, I think they benefit. They get way more games. They get in their favorite IP now has the bottomless budget um, of Microsoft. That's interesting. Yeah. There's, um, I, I just know steam has been around for so long on PC that, its presence is something and it's very connected with discord and Twitch, you sure. know, but, um, I Xbox doesn't even register to me for PCs, but uh, I mean, that may change very soon, especially, um, if there's exclusive titles that they now have control think, over. Right. I mean, think about, think about this. Like, so I have, I'm new to PC gaming, so I, don't really have a ton of biases built yet. So I have Steam and I like it. Um, I bought the last couple of games on there, um, but I downloaded, um, but I had already, because I was part of the Microsoft ecosystem and remained part of the Xbox ecosystem since Xbox One, like I have an OG gamer tag where I already owned um, Dead by Daylight there on that console or on that account. So I re-downloaded it through Game Pass on my PC um, so that I could, you know, and I plan to cross play from there. Um, but it's just part of like the, the ecosystem stickiness. The other thing you can think of like in terms of like a service blueprint, right? Is like, if you think about like the journey of the gamer, where it begins from turning on a machine connected to an internet, um, plugging in some software, getting online, da, da, da. Microsoft owns that entire horizontal, like every touch point along the gamer's journey is now owned by Microsoft. And I think that is huge. It has that nothing to do huge. with games, right? It has to do with yeah. owning the path. Design Thinking Games is an affiliate of Space Engineers. Space Engineers is a sandbox game about engineering, construction, exploration, and survival in space and on planets. To find out more about Space Engineers or its new DLC, Warfare 2, go to designthinkinggames.com slash spaceengineers, or just go to our website and click on the banner. What are your predictions for like this year? What are your thoughts about coming up this year? For me, I have some very strong feelings about Nintendo this year because Nintendo will be the year of threes. Um, what is the year of threes? 
One of the most fun games to play online for Nintendo is Splatoons. It is like a MOBA that is super fun. It's addictive and it's fast paced. Um, so, you know, this year, um, Splatoons 3 is going to drop. If you've never played Splatoons, it's one of the most enjoyable, fun games um, you ever play. Yeah, it's delightful. Yeah, and then also this year is they've Nintendo has announced Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Um, so Xenoblade is a pretty big, um, it's a pretty big open world RPG that has its own kind of mythos and its own kind of history to it. And it, there are, if you've ever played any of the Xeno games, Xeno Gear, Xeno Blade, Xenoblade Chronicles, I mean, so that sequel drops this year, three. But then in addition to that, Bayonetta 3 drops this Ooh. year. And so all three of those games are Nintendo exclusives. And so Nintendo, how I like to describe it to people is like, maybe you are not a Mario person. Maybe you're not a Zelda person, maybe whatever. But Nintendo Switch, with the price of its console and the pull or the draw of the, the platform exclusive games that they get is enough to make a player buy a game for a game, right? Yeah, like Animal yeah. Crossing will make people buy a Switch. And then, you know, Zelda will make people buy a Switch. Oh, I don't 100%. know about Mario. I'm not a Mario person, but <laughs> but I mean, there are some people who love Mario, right? Sure. Um, but this year, Splatoons 3, Xenoblade 3, and uh, Bayonetta 3 are, re- are all dropping. And so this year, I, I don't know much about what's forthcoming for other, you know, kind of platforms, because yeah. I tend to think of other games that are like, oh, is this going to be on PC, Xbox, and PlayStation? Okay. You know, or is this title going to be on just, you know, I don't really think of, like, exclusives so much with consoles. Now, I know there's some, like, Last of Us is an exclusive for PlayStation, yeah. right? Um, and I know there's exclusives for everything, but um, I just, uh, it's going to be, I, I'm, I'm just saying... Keep your eyes on Nintendo this year, because when I say the year of three, they have three, three, part three sequels dropping that are going to all three be amazing. So I also think there's some really sweet um, MOBAs that are coming out that are cross-platform. So if you've not seen like, you know, Star Wars Hunters mm-hmm. or um, or Vampire Blood Hunt, I mean, those are all forthcoming. Those are going to be really fun MOBA games. And so, um, you know, I, if you're a MOBA person, and I will try every MOBA, like I'll try Friday the 13th, I'll try Predator Hunting Grounds, I'll try Dead by Daylight, I, yeah. you know, I'll try everything a little bit uh, because they're they're fun games. And I'm definitely going to check out both of those two games. You know, there's some IP that I'm anxious to check out. You know, I am nebulously excited for the vampire games because there's another one called swan song that's coming out as well um and you know there there are things like that i've already played you know some there's some like really good kind of like psychological thriller um games that are sort of in the spirit of you know gone home or whatever like i just started playing martha is dead i think that's going to be a big chunk of my year coming up not that game specifically but that stuff but i'm telling you telling you i believe in november um Like Starfield, Bethesda's new game, um, is set to release. I don't know that we know a whole lot about it, but I'm expecting 
Skyrim and space, right? <laughs> um, and wow. I think this is going to be huge, right? Because I don't know why. I mean, I suspect we're going. Th- I bet game of the war game or game of the year contenders, at least in certain categories. I mean, you're going to have Elden Ring, which just came out, and you're going to have Starfield, unless Starfield totally like shits the bed, and then everything else is kind of like up for grabs there. I will say one more thing about this year that is on both of our radars um, is The Devil in Me, which oh my is God, the yeah. fourth and final uh, installment of season one, quote unquote, of the Dark Pictures anthology, whatever that means. That's bananas. And so <laughs> there's no date released, but it always seems to kind of drop around Halloween anyways. Yeah, 100%. So, um, that one I'm very much looking forward to um, just because the, I know those games only have like a one playthrough appeal, um, but it's still uh, if you were a fan of like the classic genre, like a whodunit or what's going on so or the mystery piece. I mean, that's definitely one to look towards this year as well. I have a recommendation for you if you need like a horror kick. Um, so Martha is Dead uh, came out uh, relatively recently i think this month um it is a game that is um it feels indie it's not the same as like uh, the dark pictures anthology but it's you know it's a period psychological thriller either (laughs) you know like the spirit of the dark pictures you know it's like either it's ghosts or aliens or vampires or you're insane (laughs) you know um it's one of those uh things that walks the boundaries but martha is dead is like the story of a um uh uh, of twin girls set in world war ii in italy uh i think it's like 19 um oh gosh uh 1944 maybe 1945 and um they're twins and one of the sisters dies and the other has to deal with the ramifications. She's a young woman. She's like in her teenage, she's a teenager. You know, there's pressure on the family. Her father is a German general. Um, and there's this like a fog of war, of the actual literal war, like all around, plus this grief uh, dealing with the death of a twin. And, you know, not to mention being in kind of like a uh, kind of like a spooky, like old forest as a setting where this person's imagination goes around uh, or goes a little uh, wonky, maybe, or maybe what she sees is real. But dang, dude, it is um, it is a blast. I wouldn't say it's creepy um, because, you know, when you're I will check it out. Yeah, no, it sounds cool. Yeah, when you're dead inside like us, it's not like really going to like shoot you (laughs) off your feet or whatever. Every UX professional's dead inside. But the story (laughs) is super good. And you get to take pictures with like these little old brownie cameras. Um, And they do something cool with sound design that I think you'll really like. But since Dark Pictures isn't coming out until probably, probably Halloween, right? Um, I think this one kind of like fills that void. One thing my suggestion to you would be, which is something I'm playing now, um, not sure if you've heard of it or know about it. I think you know about it, but it's on every platform, I believe, is Hades. Yeah, I saw you were raving about it. Yeah, so um, a couple of people I, I work with suggested it to me. Another UX professional actually did and said, like, hey, it's 
you know, I don't know if you like grindy games, but you should like, you should try Hades. And I'm like, well, I, I like grindy games. And he's like, well, the person I spoke to is like, well, I don't. <laughs> um, but if you, if something's so enjoyable and it's fun that it doesn't feel like grinding, which yeah. kind of like Moonlighter is this way as well as like Diablo, like the old Diablo games where you just, you go into a dungeon, you try to get as much treasure, get as far as you can, kill as much, and then you kind of can level up and be awesome. And so it makes it easier as you go, but it's super fun. Hades as well has won tons of awards and it has voice acting and story awards. It's really good. It's actually, I'm surprised. I picked it up based on a suggestion and, and it was always kind of like somewhere buried in my game list. And then yeah. finally I got to it and I'm like, wow, I should have picked this up much sooner because um, it kind of tickles that itch that is like the Diablo Moonlighter gauntlet kind of itch. Like, it, look, it looks very Diablo. Like it looks like anime Diablo when I'm looking at these. Uh... Yeah. And you can sink hours into it and not even think like you were grinding as much as you have. So. But um, definitely a game to check out. And, that, you know, I kind of keep going back. I did this with Spider-Man. I did it with Last of Us. And I did it with, um, you know, Ghost of Tsushima and a bunch of different games. It takes two. I, I'm always kind of seeing, like, well, what do the people love? And what gets really ranked really well, gets awards, or gets Game of the Year each year? And there's... You know, despite what people say, or the ang if someone gets angry about their game didn't win or not, the games that make it there to that final list are really sure. good games. You know, sure, they man. have a great player experience. And so, um, Hades would be my recommendation to you. Um, and you can play it on PC, Xbox, PlayStation, Switch, all of that. Maybe that's the challenge for the rest of the season, right? You know, like what, like if, you know, if we kind of remove our biases from it and we look at, we look at the qual data out there. What games might we not play normally, but just get rave reviews? I wonder if that can direct how we spend some of our time. Because I got to tell you, I'm I'm really stuck in my like you know my genre hole. But I think your 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 history warfare combat genre hole. Yeah, man. Like um, <laughs> I've got a specific taste for things, right? But and I don't often stray too far from it. But probably to my detriment. You know, like, so I think I'm going to I'll check out Hades because this I got to tell you, it's not a game that I would get normally. Well, it's just a general game that's that's decent to fun and your enjoyability will be it's an enjoyable game. Right. Um, it is not like what we did last season where you challenged me to play Mass <laughs> Effect and play. And I'm glad I did because yeah. I never would have picked up the game. And sure. it's really good. I'm still brewing or percolating on what the game is that I'm going to challenge you with this year. Awesome. Um, but when I do, I will hit you with the gauntlet D'Artagnan and you will have to, <laughs> and you will have to try it out. Um, there's just so many good games. Um, and, uh, I'm trying to really narrow the list. Yeah. To something that I think you would really enjoy. I have it down to about three or four, though. I will say that. So maybe here soon, in a future episode, I will issue the challenge. Amazing. I can't wait. I'm a little scared. I, I feel like you're going to hit me with like a some sort of like Metroidvania that I'm just going to want to like die <laughs> playing. But there's some of them that are like, <laughs> you know, excellent for reasons, right? But I, I just feel like you're going to pull something like out of like 
like the the early the, like the late nineties or something. <laughs> like, oh, no, shit. no, I, it will be. Uh, I know that you have an aversion to Metroidvania games, and so I'm considering that because I do factor in like like this genre is so horrible. I just don't want to play anything <laughs> with it. So some people are beyond side scrolling, you know, and and I get it, you know, because they're just like, hey, I'm 3D games. We're in a 3D world. Why? Why are we going backwards? You know, so and there are legitimately people who feel that way, you know, so and I get it. Um, but I also, you know, kind of feel the same thing about 3D games. You know, you you put Ghost of Tsushima right next to Horizon Zero Dawn, which you put next to Mad Max, which you put yeah. next to Spider-Man. It's like, OK, so how many times do we have a 3D open world where you go to waypoints on the map to get story development to and then you can do time trials or find, you know, kind of unlock and find all these hidden items to do things. I mean, that's a mechanic just as a side scroll as a mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having to return, you know, the, the thing in Metroidvania style games is that it's a map and you have to kind of constantly be looking at your map and return back to places because as you advance and get new powers or new abilities or objects, you can do things that you couldn't do before there. Yeah. And so, so that, that kind of mechanic doesn't appeal to people like to all the types of gamers, but some people, love that mechanic and so games that are modern in that genre which you think of like hollow knight or Ah, you think of metroid dread or you think of um chasm or any other games that are kind of like that um you know it's uh so but i will promise you it will not be a side scroller so (laughs) i i will I, i will guarantee that well, I don't know. If you're feeling particularly brutal, I think the the rules of the game are that I gotta play it. <laughs> so, um, so I don't know. Like, if there's uh, one to give that you really a little hint. Shine, yeah, give me a hint. To give you a hint. It's gonna probably be an indie game. That's what I've got to narrow down to. So it, it would be available on any platform. That's. I mean, yeah, that's barely a hint. <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> I mean, that's as, as much as you'll get right now. All right. Cool. That's it for this episode of Design Thinking Games. We need your help to grow in all sorts of directions. That can happen by liking, hearting, and favoriting this particular episode in your podcatcher of choice. If you can leave a five-star review, if they offer a review platform, and say something nice that goes a long way to helping train the algorithm in our favor. If you want to support us and help us pay for some of the overhead of coming to you consistently with such high quality, um, join us over at patreon.com slash design thinking games in which we have the most hilarious tiers um, for all price points. Look for Design Thinking Games on Twitter, on TikTok, on Twitch, and also on the internet at designthinkinggames.com. We offer incredibly affordable um, advertising to uh, small TTRPG creators or folks in the user experience design space who want to grow as we grow. Check out everything that we offer at designthinkinggames.com slash advertise. We'll see you at the next stop. Game on. Game on. Thank you for listening to the Design Thinking Games podcast. You only have so much time, and it means a lot you shared it with us. To connect with your hosts, Michael or Tim, visit Design Thinking Games on TikTok, Twitch, and Twitter. DMs are open. You can also check out designthinkinggames.com where you can request topics, ask questions, or see what else is going on. Until next time, 
Game on.